You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about the basics of Christianity. Our sermon series title is Christianity 101. Last week, we talked about this basic choice of choosing whether or not we're going to be judged by the law. And that is the law that was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. You remember Mount Sinai? You remember the fiery mountain where God came down and met with Moses and gave the law? We're either going to be judged by the law or we're going to be judged by way of Mount Zion. And there's a hill on the back of Mount Zion in Jerusalem. It's called Calvary. And on the back side of Zion, on that hill called Calvary, Jesus did that for you so that you might not have to pay the penalty for your sin. Did you choose your mountain? You said, I didn't choose a mountain. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You don't, you, you don't get to not choose, pardon the double negative. You do have to choose. You see, for you or I to not choose Jesus is to reject Him. You understand that? So what, what happens then is that you then are going to be under the law. And what happens if you're under the law? By the way, let's, let me mention this about the law for a minute. What is the law? The Ten Commandments, right? So the law was given in love. You go, no, it's not because the law is like bad, 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 bad law. No, it's not. Because if you love your wife, you won't commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. If you love your neighbor, you won't covet his stuff, steal from him, or kill him. And that's four of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given to us in love to what? Show us our sin and our incapability of saving ourselves because in order to be judged by the law and get to a holy God, you're going to have to be perfect. And you can't do that, nor can I. But someone came who did. Jesus, who never sinned, who knew no sin, came. And while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us so that if you accept him by faith, then you're covered. Mount Zion is your covering. Did you make that choice? See, we live in a day and age in a culture that people go, well, you know, Jesus, he was a good guy, but, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways to get to, to God. You know, there's Islam, right? So, you know, you can, you can, you know, go through the teachings of Muhammad and the Quran and, you know, and, 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 you know, Allah is the same God as like the God of the Bible. No, he's not. Allah doesn't even exist. Did you know that? There is no Allah floating around in the universe somewhere. L let me help you understand something. Listen, this is, this is very basic. This is Christianity 101. Jesus Christ is not on par with Muhammad or Allah or Confucius or Buddha or Charles Taft Russell or Joseph Smith. Jesus Christ is God. 
Listen, you've been to Golden Corral, right? And you're trying to decide what to eat, and they got all those spoons stuck in those bins, right? And you're trying to decide, okay, potatoes or carrots or, you know, uh, peas or whatever, and you're making a choice. And people try to treat Jesus like that. Well, I'll have a little Jesus, and I'll have a little bit of, you know, this, and a little bit of Confucius, and a little bit of Muhammad. They all lead to God anyway. Wrong. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to God except through me. That's kind of offensive in this all-inclusive culture, isn't it? For anybody to have the audacity to say that I'm the only way and that all the other ways are wrong because Jesus said, I'm the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way. The article there is the, not a. A is an article, the is an article. Jesus said, I'm the way. There is no other way to God. Listen to me. There is God and there is Satan, and Satan loves religion. And he uses it to deceive people to choose that way to think they're going to come to God when God came in the person of Jesus Christ and died for your sins. No, Jesus Christ is not a way. He he is the only way. And do you know how he proved he's the only way? He got up from the dead. We're keeping time by him. This is September the 8th, 2019. It's been 2019 years since Jesus was born. Jesus said, I am the way. And church, that is the fundamental of the book of Hebrews. This is Christianity 101. As we, as we have been going through the book of Hebrews over the last several months, it's like we've been walking through the elementary school of Christianity. Jesus is not on par. He's not on the buffet line with these other religious world leaders. Jesus is God. And he raised himself from the dead by way of the Holy Spirit some 2,000 years ago. That's basic Christianity. Do you believe it? Your eternity, your eternity rests on whether or not you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this brings us to the basics that we're going to see today. We're going to see four basic elementary teachings of Christianity today. We'll get two more next week. Here's the first four. You've made your way to Hebrews 13. Follow along. Pick up in verse 1. Here comes the first basic. Number one, let brotherly love continue. Number two, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Number three, basic number three, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Now, so what's the context of that? The body there is the church. It's, it's the body of Christ. And number four, verse four, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That's basic number four. So, so let's, let's look at these basics by way of this little list. Number one, Christianity 101 are these basics. 
Christian basics. Number one, we are going to show brotherly love. Number two, if you're a Christian, you're going to exhibit hospitality. Number three, Christian basic. We're going to help those in need. And number four, man, this is a tough one. This is the one that's going to cause the rub today. Number four, if you're a Christian, you're going to live a sexually pure life. I promise you when we get to that one, the culture, maybe folks watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, are going to go, hmm, but I want to ask you something. I want everybody to look at me. What am I holding up? What am I holding up? What am I holding up? What's your authority? What's your authority? Where do you take your lessons? Where do you take your authority? Can we play a little game this morning? It's called the Desert Island Challenge. And on that desert island, we do not have Instagram, Twitter. We do not have any rock stars or musicians and their view about any of these issues. All we have on our desert island is the Bible as our authority. So we're going to take our cues from the Word of God because I believe this is the Word of God. A book of fulfilled prophecy. 308 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, where He would live, where He would die, where He would come from, all the things that He would do, right down to soldiers gambling for His garments. All fulfilled. And so you're going to take your cues from someone, someplace, somewhere. You're going to take them from a friend. You're going to take them from social media. You're going to take them from a sports star, some musician. You're going to take them from a whatever. But today, we're going to take the Desert Island Challenge and look at only the Bible for how to live the Christian life. Okay, you with me? This won't be easy, but this is what the Bible teaches. These are the basics. Let's look at the first one, brotherly love. Look at that first verse, Hebrews 13, 1. Let brotherly love continue. Did you know that word let is a military command? A general gives a command. What does he expect his troops to do? Obey it, okay? So let brotherly love continue. Now that wor- those two words, brotherly love, two words in English is one word in the Greek. Happens all the time. And that one word is actually the name of a city in Pennsylvania that's known as the city of brotherly love. Can anybody tell me the name of that city? Philadelphia. So the Greek word there is Philadelphia. Okay? We are to let brotherly love continue. You say, that's common sense. We're to keep on loving each other. Yes. Let's put this in context now. Who, Who is the writer writing to? This is the book of what? Hebrews. So these are former Jews, Hebrews, who have given their lives to Christ. It is the middle part of the first century, around 60 to 64 A.D. Jesus has ascended into heaven, been there for some 30 to 35 years. You with me? And these are Jews who are walking away from Judaism and giving their life to Christ. They're surrendering their lives to Christ. Now, what, who is in power during the 60s A.D. in the world? Who is the world power? Rome. And who is on the throne as the emperor in Rome? His name starts with an N. Nero. And who is Nero? An absolute total nut job. He married himself to a boy. He performed the ceremony. 
And Christians are being arrested by Nero for his political gain. And as sport, they're being fed to lions in the Roman Colosseum. And this is the context of this first basic. Keep loving each other. Do you think it would be a bit stressful to live in that culture as a Christian? This is yes. This is no. Yes. Were you afraid that by coming to church today you could get ratted out and thrown in prison or worse, killed? Anyone afraid of that? No, me either. But it's happening in the world. That Christians in China are worshiping underground. Literally, some are in the ground. They've built churches under the ground, but the underground church is, is just church in hiding. Might that ever come to America? It's possible. In fact, I think it's most likely, likely. That's the, that's the trajectory of our culture. We're moving away from the things of God because we don't use the Bible as our authority. We use our feelings as our authority. We use what makes us comfortable so that everybody can go along and get along and do whatever they want to. There's no restrictions. Every, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. And when you have an authority that tells you something differently, it ticks you off. It makes you mad, and you will jettison that. I was thinking about Drew Brees this week. Anybody know Drew Brees? Are you ready for some football? Because the NFL starts today. Actually, it started Thursday night with the first game, but Panthers are playing at 1 o'clock. Drew Brees is the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And focus on the family out of Colorado Springs, Colorado. Ask him if he would, uh, you know, video about a 30-second little deal and uh, put it out on their Facebook page. And he did because Tuesday is take your uh, Bible to school day. Did you know that? Did you know it's legal in America to take your Bible to, to school? It is. It's legal. It is. And so he was absolutely lambasted by these people that were so mad that a child might take a Bible in their backpack to school. What is so bad about that? I mean, even if all they read was Exodus 20, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, right? I mean, is that so bad? It's the culture we live in. And Drew Brees has caught all kinds of heat. Thank God for Drew Brees. Drew Brees has got a backbone. And I'm grateful for men like him. Continue to show brotherly love. These people are suffering greatly. Let me remind you of this. You're in your Bibles at Hebrews 13. Go back to Hebrews 11. Look at verse 35. Mine's on the same page. You're in Hebrews 13. One, go back to Hebrews 11. You might have to flip a page. Hebrews 11, look at verse 36. Let me remind you of what's going on with these people. Okay, let me remind you of the suffering they're enduring. Some suffered mocking. Some have suffered, suffered flogging. That's like being beaten with a cat of nine tails. Some are in chains. Some are in prison. Some have been stoned, sewn in half, right? They were killed with the sword. Some are going about in skins of sheep and goats. They're destitute. They're afflicted. They're being mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. They're wandering around about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth because their homes are being taken from them. You got stress today? Folks, we don't have any kind of stress compared to that. Do we? I mean, are you trying to decide what to have for lunch? 
Okay? I don't know what we should do. Let's say Wendy's, Chick-fil-A's closed. Uh, Plaza del Sol, and I had Mexican on Thursday. Don't want to have Mexican again. Oh, decisions, decisions, such stress. Where shall we eat? They're wondering in the first century if they're even going to have another meal. Do you see this? The Bible says in verse 1, four words, let brotherly love continue. The backdrop of that is suffering. Suffering. How do you act when you're under stress? Can I tell you how I act when I'm under stress? I'm a little testy. I get a little short-tempered. Not with you, of course. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Having a good day? Sit down, son. Good to see y'all. You get that, don't you? You know what those car rides are like coming to church, huh? And you open the door and get on this ground, and you're like, hello, everyone, hello. <laughs> Who do we tend to take it out on the most when we're under stress? Yeah, people we love, our family. Believe me, I, I've had to repent even this weekend. I'm sorry. I've been a little testy. Things aren't peachy keen when you're under stress. Think of the stress they're under. And that's why the apostle tells them, keep on loving each other. Keep on loving each other. Show grace and mercy toward each other. Keep on loving each other. It's hard. It's difficult sometimes. That's what these people were dealing with. This is what we saw actually a few weeks ago while we're looking at a couple of other things. Go back one more page. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. Would you do that? We were looking at Hebrews, uh, we were looking at Hebrews 11 a moment ago. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Look at verse 24. Remember this? Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider, there's that let again, command. Consider how to stir up one another to what? Love. And good works. We talked about this Wednesday night. Jesus actually cares about what we do. He goes, oh, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus is happy that I've chosen to receive him by faith into my life. Yeah, he, do, he does care. But after we receive him by faith, he actually desires us to obey him. Jesus said, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments, right? Watch this, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together. You know what this is? This is called the gathering. This is called the meeting. You say, what is this? We call it the worship service here. But in the New Testament, when the church came together, it was called the ecclesia. The word ecclesia means the gathering, the meeting of the believers of Jesus Christ. And so he says, do not neglect the ecclesia as is the habit of some. Why had they stopped meeting? Because it's so dangerous. Because they could get ratted out and be hauled off to Rome and fed the lines. You understand that? Wouldn't you be a little fearful to be living in China today and somebody find out that you're a believer and throw you into prison? Might that keep you from coming to church? And yet they're told what? Don't stop meeting. Because we need each other. The first thing that happens when we get caught up into something in our lives, go through a trial, a difficulty, what, as we stop coming to church. That's exactly what Satan wants. 
Some of you that are watching right now, you're not in church, okay? You need to come back, okay? We got room here, plenty of purple seats open. Here's the thing, we need each other. We, that's, that's what he's saying here. Let us consider how to stir up to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but watch, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Anytime you see that capital D-A-Y in the New Testament, that's speaking of the day of judgment. We've got to keep loving each other. Will you keep loving? You know, I was thinking about love. I don't know why. I got thinking about Tina Turner. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Yeah. What's love but a... That, I did that in all three services. I'll tell you, you know it, don't you? We know the lyrics to Tina Turner's What's Love Got to Do With It? And I'll quote some Bible verse and it's like crickets. <laughs> Tina Turner asked what love is. What is love? Is love just the ooey gooey feelings? Love is a decision. It's been said it's not true love until there's sacrifice. For God so what? Loved the world that he, he gave his own son. Love is a decision. People say, oh, well, we just fell out of love. Is that like falling off your couch? No, we don't fall out of love. We decide to stop loving. Somewhere along the way, you just say, I'm done. I'm done. You just, it's, it's mental that, that overrides the emotional. But oftentimes, it's the emotional that pushes the mental because the feelings aren't there. You've lost that love and feeling, right? Whoa, that what? Love and feeling. Say, you know these words? Come on, don't tell me you can't memorize stuff. And so we just decide to stop loving. I was thinking about love. What is true love? The Bible describes it. I've done dozens of marriages, and every single marriage I've ever done, I've used this passage of Scripture. It's the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Okay, you ready? Okay, you, you'll know this when you hear it. Ready? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Watch it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Okay, wait a minute. Let me stop there for a minute. Can I do something? Can I put my name in place of love? And will you put your name in place of love? Okay, here we go. You ready? We're, we're going to try this. All right? Kevin is patient and kind. Kevin does not envy or boast. Kevin is not arrogant or rude. Who? Kevin does not insist on his own way. Kevin is not irritable. Oh, can we stop? <laughs> Kevin is not resentful. Kevin does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Kevin rejoices with the truth. Kevin bears all things. Kevin believes all things. Kevin hopes all things. Kevin endures all things. Kevin never fails. Whew. That's a different way to read the love chapter, isn't it? Church family, our relationships with one another should be marked by love, not only in our homes, but also in the church. Because people are watching us. People are watching us. Now watch this. People are watching how we live. And they're either going to be drawn closer to Jesus by the way you're living or they're going to be repelled. Are you drawing people to Jesus by the way you're living? Can you be honest and say, I can put my life up on a chair. I'll put my life up on a pedestal. Not to be arrogant, but I can actually say to people, look at me. 
Look at me, and with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can say, if you'll look at me, I will give you an earthly example as to what it means to follow Jesus. Would you put yourself on a chair? Most people will say no, because you think that's arrogant. No, it's not. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses. You're to be my chair standers. You are to go throughout the world, through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, and stand on the chair and say, look at me, and I'll give you an example of what it means to follow Jesus. Most of you I ain't standing on no chair. That's because you'll feel conviction. And allow that conviction of the Holy Spirit to push you toward love. Listen, if you're walking in disobedience today, I promise you, you're not happy. You might try to convince yourself that you are. You might try to rationalize what you're doing. But deep down in the soul of soul of who you are, if you could even go there, if you could dive deep enough, if you would take long enough, you know you're not where you need to be. And you know that Jesus is beckoning and calling you back. Will you listen? Will you listen? That's love. That's love. And that's number one, the first basic. So what have we seen so far? If we're truly a Christian, we're going to show the first basic we're going to love. And number two, we're going to exhibit hospitality. Seems kind of strange, doesn't it? Hospitality. Somebody be sitting here going, I don't even know what that exactly means. What is that like? Buying somebody's lunch at Chick-fil-A? Well, maybe. I mean, that's hospitable. I mean, we get our term hospital from hospitality. It means to help others or show others kindness, right? If you're in a hospital, you're being shown kindness by the doctors, nurses, and so forth, right? Okay, so it's hospitable to buy somebody's dinner for them. But in the Greek, what this means in the context here is actually to show this kindness in your home, Who has people over to their homes anymore? Right? Church, where did the first church meet? In homes. Because there were not church buildings until the end of the second century, start of the third century. We're mid-60s AD. For 30 years they've been meeting in homes. And by the time you get to the end of the second century, we're at over 150 years that the church flourished because they met in each other's homes until they started building buildings. Hospitality. It is to show kindness to others, but this is dangerous in that culture. You know, what? what? You mean having somebody over your home could be dangerous? Yeah, yeah especially when Nero's running the world and he's taking Christians and hauling them off to the Colosseum and using them for sport, feeding them to lions, right? Oh, it's dangerous because you might invite somebody into your home who's a stranger and they're trying to make a little bit of money off the Roman dime and they'll turn you in. Get a little money for your head, a little scalp, and send you off for that. And you'd be like, shoot, I ain't opening my home up for nobody. I'm pulling down the blinds and locking the doors, double lock, triple lock, quadruple lock. No way, Jose. Yeah, I get it. Reminds me of the Jews during the 30s and 40s in Germany under Nazi Hitler. See, Hitler, you know, he's like Nero. 
You know, Hitler, he had his little secret police, his secret, you see them? What were they called, his secret police? The Gestapo. Oh, and they were tricky. Oh, they would befriend Jews and make it look like they were their buddies. The next thing you know, they were being turned in. And guess what happened to them? They would turn them in and their families, and they would haul them off to a train station like this train station. And that train is headed for a place called Auschwitz. What is that? You don't learn this in school. They don't even teach us anymore. That's a concentration camp. And you know what they did in, a, in concentration camps back under the rule of Hitler in Nazi Germany? They would take you to a concentration camp on a train like these women, pull you off the train. They would put some little piece of garbage, little robe on you and shave your head, use the hair of your head to line their boots. They used the hair of the head of the men, the women, and the boys, and the girls, and the Germans and soldiers line their boots for winter time. You say, that is unbelievable. Yeah, and there are actually people today who say the Holocaust never happened. I just showed you pictures. Do you think that the Jews in Nazi Germany were maybe a little bit afraid of who they invited in their home? Do you think the first century Christians might have been a little bit afraid of who they invite in their home, might be ratted out by some of Nero's men? Do you understand now, now why they were given this directive? Do you, do you look at it again? Look at, look at verse 2 in Hebrews 13. See this now in context. This will help us. Listen, read the Bible in context. Do not neglect to show hospitality to whom? Strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You know what I thought of when I read that enter, entertained angels? I thought of Abraham and Sarah. You remember they entertained angels? Can, can I, you want to see this? Can I show you? This? Hold your place here. Hebrews 13. Go to Genesis 18. Okay? Go to Genesis 18. I want you to see this. Hold your place. Go to Genesis 18. Now, as you're turning to Genesis 18, the third word in verse 1 is the word Lord. I want to tell you this now. The word, we're going to park here for a second. You're going to Genesis 18, so do two things at once. Listen and, and turn. The word Lord that's used in the passage we're getting ready to read in Genesis 18 is the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Jehovah. Okay, so who is that? Who is Jehovah? The Hebrews would not pronounce the name of God. God's name is I Am which is Yahweh. So instead what they did is they, they changed, so they, they thought it was, they weren't pure enough to say the name Yahweh, so they, they took the consonants and the vowels of, of two words. They took Elohim and then they took uh, Yahweh and they mixed them together and came up with Yehovah. So that's the word they said for God. So let's, let's read this in context now. You ready? Hebrews, excuse me, Genesis 18 verse 1. And the Lord, the word there is Jehovah, appeared to him, that's Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. I'd be sitting under an oak tree in the heat of the day too, wouldn't you? And all of a sudden the Lord shows up. Now watch this. He lifted up his eyes, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, Abraham ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth, and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Stop there for a moment. So who was this? It says men. Okay, now let me ask you something. 
In the Garden of Eden, when the Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, who was that? You say, well, it's God. I'm with you. But of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who was it? Keep thinking. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar heated the thing up seven times harder than normal. They looked in there, and who did they see? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, someone who looks like a god, or perfectly translated, the Son of God. Who was that? Jesus. Okay, now think with me a minute. Who was this that met with Abraham? Said there were three men. Is Jesus a man? Yes. He is 100% man, and he is 100% God. It's called the hypostatic union. You understand that? I don't understand it. How is he 100% man? How is he 100% God? But Jesus is. He embodied 100% humanity he, and always was tempted like us, being like us, and yet he's God. I believe that who Abraham saw was none other than Jesus Christ. Now think with me. It'll be Christmas before you know it, and we're going to sing a song. Maybe you'll sing, I love this song, Michael W. Smith, you sing, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Emmanuel. You know that? What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. So who is Jesus? God with us. I be, look, people can disagree. I believe that Abraham saw Jesus. In what's called, seminarians call it, a pre-incarnate theophany. Pre-incarnate means before his birth in Bethlehem. Theophany is the appearance of God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. He is not on the, the buffet line of the golden corral of religious leaders. Jesus is God. You understand? So, so whom Abraham and Sarah are seeing is, I believe, Jesus Christ and two angels. Okay? Now watch. Look at verse 4. Abraham said, Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. What is he showing? Hospitality. While I bring a morsel of bread. Oh, he's going to feed them too. That you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. Abraham and Sarah showed hospitality. Do you show hospitality? In your home. That's the context of Hebrews 13. You, you say, you mean have people over for a meal? Yeah. And you go, we don't even do that. I mean, it's true. The majority of families hardly ever sit down at a table in their home and have a meal together without these devices called... You know, you've been in a restaurant. You've seen a man and a woman, and they're sitting there right in front of each other, right? Waiting for their food to come. They've got their glass of iced tea sitting there. And what are they both doing? We're addicted to those things. Can you have a meal at your house with your family without cell phones? It's hard, isn't it? You know? Is your dinner table a cell-free zone? You know, you're sitting there, right? Zzz, 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 zzz. 
be important. Yeah, you're so important. You are so important that you cannot exist for 30 minutes without the rest of the world having access to you. Listen, I live that. And bless God, it's 6.30 in the evening. Where's Kevin? Where is he? I've texted him. I've called him. I can't get a hold of him. I'm having dinner with my family. And if it's an emergency, text me and say, life or death. And if it's not, I'm going to be mad at you. Is it okay to unplug for a few minutes and have a conversation with our family? Because that's where it's got to start first. I was reading this, I'm like, show hospitality to people that we don't even know, to strangers? Are you kidding me? We don't even do this ourselves. We don't, so many families, they can count on one hand how many times a month that they actually sit down and have a meal at a table and not out of a bag, rushing from this event to that event. Do you know why we don't show hospitality? Because we don't even do it as families. If you can't say amen, say, oh my. It's the truth. Am I preaching the truth? It's the truth. And I've struggled with this, I'll be honest with you. And I've got to show hospitality. You want to know why? The Bible commands that I have to. You say, oh, this Hebrews 13? Uh-uh. What am I in this church? What am I? I'm a pastor. So I'm an elder. Did you know the Bible commands that I show hospitality? You know, we just had a deacon election, right? So the qualifications for a deacon are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, picking up in verse 8. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 are for people like me, elders, pastors. I just want to show you one verse, verse 2. See the screens? Here's verse 2. Here's what it says about me. Therefore, an overseer, that's a fancy word for a pastor, uh, you know, a shepherd, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and there it is, I must be hospitable and able to teach. And I know this. Pam and I have tried, 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 tried to be hospitable. And, and we enjoy having people over our home. As a matter of fact, in uh, two weeks, uh, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to have all the deacons, uh, the active deacons and their families over at our home. We do this every year. And we have all the staff and their families over at our home. You say you're bragging on yourself. No, no, I'm just telling you I try to do this. I'm, try, I'm trying to follow this. Right, and get this, when I first became pastor almost 15 years ago, did you know that it was our goal, mine and Pam's, to have every single new family to our home for dinner? Do you know how unwieldy that is now? <laughs> there's so many new people, there's not enough time in the calendar. Because I'm busy too. You know what the two main reasons are why we don't have people to our homes? You ready for this? We don't want to clean our house, and we don't want to spend the money. I don't want to clean my house. I get that. You come in my guest bathroom, man, there's a pink ring around that thing. My toilet, you know what I'm saying, that pink ring down there? Because you ain't put the brush in that thing in a month. You know what I'm saying? And you look up in that guest bathroom. Guess what's in the corner up there at the ceiling? Cobwebs. They're there. Go look. And that light fixture you got hanging there with them three lights right there, there's cobwebs in there too. Grab up in that thing. Can I get a witness? And if you come to my house, there's many days of the week I'm picking my socks out of a pile of laundry on the couch. Is that okay? Does that make me less of a Christian? That's called life, people. 
And the second thing is we just don't want to spend the money. Well, Lord, you don't have to have a Thanksgiving dinner to have somebody over to your house. In fact, you don't have to even be expensive at all. Have coffee and cookies. Buy the cheap ones. You know, like Chips Ahoy, you know, that's like $3 a pack. You know what I'm saying? Now, they'll think bad of me if I buy two. Well, then buy Oreos, okay? Spend a couple extra bucks, okay? All right? And then serve some coffee. And if you don't have that, just tell them it's a prison and serve bread and water. It'll be fine. It's just, it's okay. You're saying you're being silly. I'm not being silly. I'm just saying we're told in Scripture to show hospitality. But we've got to start with our family. And then we show hospitality to whom? What did it say? Strangers. There are people in our church that, that are strangers to us, I mean, as the church continues to grow. And there are families that need to be discipled. This is Titus 2, the older men teaching the younger men and the older women teaching the younger women. So look around and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, whom might we have to our home and help pour into their lives because we're to make disciples, not just converts, disciples. That means roll up your sleeves and they get involved in your life. Yes, I know that's messy. You got to hear their sob stories. And they might have shown up at 7 o'clock and it's 10.30 and you've got to go to bed and go to work the next morning. But that person needs to be able to share with somebody. And they go back to their home and lay their head on their pillow with tears staining their pillow. And they come to a place and they say, thank you God that I was able to get that off my chest today. And I feel there's hope in my life because you've breathed hope into their life by just listening to them. That's hospitality. And we're told to show it. I thought about Aquila and Priscilla. You know those two? That dynamic duo, no, not Batman and Robin, Priscilla and Aquila. In Scripture, they helped the Apostle Paul greatly. Did you, did you know they actually had a church in their house? They did. Remember, they had house churches, right? Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Paul, at the end of his letter to the Corinthians, said this, The churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Prisca. That was his, Paul's nickname for Priscilla. He called her Prisca. Together with the church in their house, see that? The church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Church family, maybe we're just too busy. Maybe we just need to slow down. And, and, and are you going to be able to have a meal at your house around at a table this week? No, not with the TV on, okay? No, not with cell phones at the table. It's a cell phone free zone. Can you do that? Will that happen anytime this week? How about next week? And see, if it's not happening, I promise you that, Mom and Dad, if you've got kids in your home, you're not the one raising them. The schools are raising them, the coaches, and their phone is raising them. Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter are raising your kids. Okay? Because if you're not having conversations with them, you're not raising them. And if you think just bringing them to church is enough, I promise you it's not. I've pastored long enough to tell you that on the authority of my experience as a pastor for almost 15 years. If you're not having conversations at a table, if you're not having conversations at their bedside, if you're not having conversations in the car going back and forth to all these practices and things, tell them to pull their earbuds out of their ears and have conversation. Ask them to put their phone in their front pocket or back pocket and have conversations. And that's how you raise a family. That's even showing hospitality to your own. But it's hard, isn't it? And Peter knew this. Peter had to tell the, 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 the persecuted Christians that he wrote to in 1 Peter 4. Look at this, 1 Peter 4, 9. Here's what Peter had to say. Peter said, show hospitality to one another without what? 
Gotta clean up the house, gotta clean the cobwebs out, gotta pull out the Clorox and clean the toilet. Grumbling, kind of fit. Who's got time for this? We're told as a basic of Christianity to show hospitality. It's something that's lost in our culture. It's lost. That's the first and second basic. What are they? The Christian basics. Number one, show brotherly love. Philadelphia. Number two, we exhibit hospitality. And number three, we help those in need. We help those in need. Let's look at that one. Hebrews 13, 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, like you're there with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Now let's put this in context again. I said it earlier, but the word body there points to whom? The church. That's us. So we're not talking about what Jesus talked about when he said, as, as, many, as much as you've done unto the least of these, uh, my brethren, you've done unto me if you visit me in the prison and all that. He's not necessarily talking about going to the prison and making a circuit at the prison and visiting the guys that have, you know, stolen cars or guys that are drug addicts or ladies or whatever the case is. There, there's part of that, yes. That, that is an understanding that you can derive from that at least implicitly. But the explicit meaning of this verse is this. When there is a brother or sister in Christ who's been imprisoned, you are not to forget them. You say, I still don't get it. They're living under Roman oppression. These are Christians who might be like those Jews in Germany that are literally being loaded up from the area of Israel and carted off to Italy where they will be thrown to lions in the Roman Colosseum. Do you understand that? And because of that, if you go visit them in prison, what might happen to you? You end up in prison. You end up arrested. And because of that, they were afraid. They were scared. I thought about Jesus. I thought about when he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The temple police and the Roman cohort came and arrested him, and what did all the apostles do? Gone. Why? Because they were scared. They were afraid, right? Would you have been? I look at my own life and I say, Kevin, what would you have done? I'd have probably split too. You'd like to think you wouldn't. Aren't you glad that Jesus is merciful? He reinstated Peter. Peter not only split, but he ended up going to Caiaphas' house out in the little outer garden area where they had the fire and the servants kept asking, you know, your accent gives you away. You're from up north in Galilee. And he, got, he swore. He swore. He called down curses. He called down, called down damnation on his own head. He said, may I be damned forever if I know that man Jesus. We get afraid. You know, it takes tremendous courage to be a Christian, doesn't it? It does. And the more pagan our culture get, gets, the more courage it'll take. Drew Brees... The quarterback for the Saints has courage because he's, he told focus on the family. I'll cut the video. Put a camera in front of my face. I'll cut it. You're going to take heat for this, Drew. I'll do it. And he did it. He said, hey, y'all young people out there. He said, Tuesday is bring your Bible to school day. So you, according to the law of the land, can bring your Bible to the school. And now they are, people are wanting to boycott the Saints. They're wanting to boycott him. 
He's getting death threats. I thought that crowd was tolerant. Didn't you? I thought that was the tolerant crowd, right? That tolerates, oh, we tolerate everything but the Bible. But when you take the Desert Island Challenge, and this is all we're going by, this is our authority, then everything else you push out of your brain. It doesn't matter what CNN says. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what Whoopi Goldberg says. It doesn't matter what the college professor at Appalachian says. It doesn't matter what anybody says outside of what the Word of God says. This is our authority. But it's going to take courage to live by it. And that's Christianity 101. You know, the Apostle Paul at the end of his life shared the fact that everybody had deserted him. Did you know that? He felt just like Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. Paul in his last letter to Timothy said this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Paul was in prison twice, and here's what he said. At my first defense, the first time I was in prison in Rome, nobody came to stand with me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. That reminds me of Jesus. He's right. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from what? The lion's mouth. Did you know that? Did you know that while Paul was in Rome that this could have happened to him? He could have been thrown to the lions. I bet you didn't know that. The Apostle Paul, under his first imprisonment, was saved from the mouth of a lion. God saved him. Was, he was actually released for a season of time before he was arre arrested again the second time, hauled back off to Rome, thrown in the Mamertine prison, according to Bible scholars. And do you know how Paul finally met his demise at the hands of the Romans? Huh? Thrown to the Colosseum? Huh? Burned on a stake on a pole? Huh? Beheaded. They beheaded him. They cut his head off. Do you see how courageous these first century Christians were? They had courage to show brotherly love, to show hospitality, to be acquainted with people who were members of the church who might be in prison and they might be associated with them if they went to visit them. We better make up our minds, church, whether or not we're going to follow Christ. It's a great cost. And that's what Jesus said. We've got to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. And that brings us to the last one, number four. What are the Christian basics? Number one, we're going to show brotherly love. Number two, we're going to exhibit hospitality. Number three, we're going to help those in need. And number four, we're going to, what? Live in sexual purity. Does that not seem odd where that one is? I mean, you're talking about love, you're talking about hospitality, feeding people, you're talking about going to the prisons, you, know, you might take them an apple pie and a you know, fried chicken leg and visit them, you know, and this all seems like, like food and stuff. And now we're talking about sexual purity? You know, is the Holy Spirit, was, was, was he kind of off when he said that? No. This, is, this falls right in love. What is true love? Sexual purity in relationships. Sir, don't you feel that way about your wife? Ma'am, don't you feel that way about your husband? You want them to be sexually pure because that's true love. That's the whole love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. That's the whole marriage thing for better, for worse, for richer, poor, and sickness and health till death do us part. That's love, right, right, right? So, so look at it, verse 4. 
Number four of the Christian basics is verse 4, Hebrews 13, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So what does it mean, let marriage be held in honor? Well, there were actually those in the early church who thought it was more honorable to be celibate, to be single and never marry at all. Did you know that? But Paul denounced that idea in 1 Timothy 4, 3, and here, and also 1 Corinthians 7. He said, look, you're going to get more done in life as a believer if you're not married because you're freed up from those obligations. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, it's still okay to get married. So it's okay to be single if God has that design for your life, and it's okay to be married if God has that design for your life. That's the point. It's, you don't get more brownie points with God because you stay single, or vice versa. You don't get more brownie points if you're married. So that's the point. And the marriage bed is undefiled, meaning that a married couple, that, that, that is between them. Okay? And so I'm going to leave it at that. This is a married couple. This is the intimacy of their home. And, and, and my encouragement to, to married people when I do pre-marriage counseling is don't let the world dictate what happens in your marriage. You understand what I'm saying? There's a lot of sick, twisted stuff out there. Okay? There's been all kinds of crazy movies uh, about the color gray and all kinds of things that have, have really twisted the minds of Christians. Okay? Allow your mind to be informed by the Holy Spirit and not by the things of this world. Paul told the church at Ephesus this about sexual morality. In fact, Paul was telling it, but it was penned at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and Paul just wrote it down. Here's what the Holy Spirit said, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity, how much impurity? All. Or covetousness must not even be named among you. Not as Christians. Christians shouldn't live sexually immoral lives. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Because that's not proper among saints. You say, that's Drew Brees. No, no, he is a New Orleans saint, but the word saints in Scripture means Christians. Did you know you're a saint? You are. You say, I pull for the Panthers. I get it. I'm talking about a saint. I'm talking about you are a child of God. And that means in Scripture you're a saint. You say, I don't feel like a saint. Isn't that great? That's the grace of God. See, by faith you accept Jesus at Mount Zion. What he did on the cross, on the backside of Mount Zion, on Calvary, and you're a saint. How about that? That's your identity. Isn't that good? Verse 4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk. How are you talking? Are you cussing? No coarse joking, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead there should be thanksgiving. Now here's, here's an important verse, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, sure of this, sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That means that their identity is found in their sexual immorality. Their, their identity is not in Christ, but in their sin. They're still stuck at Mount Sinai, and they're under the law. The word immoral found in Ephesians 5 that we just read in verse 3 is the same word immoral that's found in Hebrews 13 verse 4. Look at the end of verse 4 again in your Bibles. Hebrews 13 4. For God will judge the sexually what? Immoral and adulterous. The word immoral in the Greek is the word pornea. Pornea. What English word do we get from the Greek word pornea? Pornography. You following? What is sexual immorality? Okay, okay. 
we're taking the Desert Island Challenge where we're on an island and only have the Bible. We, we don't listen to what the world says. This is our authority. So I looked up the word immoral in a Greek lexicon. What is that? That's a Greek dictionary. I wanted to see what the original Greek said is sexually immoral and has been for 2,000 years. You want to know? You want to know what pornea means in the Greek? Here it is. Here it is. Listen, time out, time out. I told you this is the part of the message that you're going to struggle with. This is the, you're fine with showing love, I am too. You're fine with feeding somebody a cookie and some coffee and cleaning the cobwebs out of your guest bathroom. And, and you're fine with the, the prison stuff. And, and you get it, and, and we'll have courage. I believe the Lord will give us that when, when the time comes. But it's this sexual stuff that's hard. Because I know the air we're breathing in our culture, where everything's okay. Okay, so, okay. Referee, we're ready. Time back in, okay? We're going to run the play now. Here is sexual immorality as recorded in a Greek lexicon. Here it is. Sexual immorality, pornea, is our illicit relationships outside of marriage, which includes living together, not in the bonds of marriage. See, 50 years ago, that's not a problem for a preacher to read that verse and not have to hide behind the pulpit. But today in our culture where everybody lives together, did you know divorce is dropping in America? Do you know why the numbers, statistics of divorce is dropping in America? Because nobody's getting married. They're living together. Hey, those that are watching on Mount Pleasant anywhere, those of you that are here today, do you know what the likelihood is that your marriage will fail if you've lived together before you got married and then you get married? you know what the likelihood that your marriage will fail is? You ready? 78% according to Pew Research. Why? Because you didn't have a commitment to start with. True love means commitment. You're willing to put one of these things on, right? Right. Love is commitment for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until death do us part. But if you're just living together, you have none of that. And so I would argue with you in a Christ-like loving way, your relationship is not the kind of love God's talking about. What's the second one? That's the first one. It's illicit relationships that include relationships outside of marriage that would be living together, adultery. Can we all still agree that adultery is sin? I mean, everybody agrees with that. Even the homosexuality community would agree with that. That, that don't commit adultery on me, right? That's almost bar none. That's, that's still accepted today. That's number two. Sex outside of marriage, adultery. You know what's coming. <laughs> Homosexuality. It's the Greek lexicon for what the word meant in the first century. <laughs> but I know we live in the 21st century, and we have this progressivism, this progressive Christianity even, that everything goes, and so that, that book is old and it's antiquated. Well, that would make God dumb. 
Because if this is God's word, then it's applicable for all time, not just for the time it's written. Because if God really breathed his word into man, Theonoustos, God breathed, Theo God, Noustos to breathe, and this is the authority, then we have to go with what it says. And it doesn't change with the culture. And I'm glad it doesn't change. What's the fourth one? Pedophilia. I really believe there will be a new letter eventually added. L, G, B, T, Q, P. Did you know that Nero married himself, actually performed the ceremony, and married himself to a boy? He did. That's next. You go, that's gross, that's sick. That's the slide, folks. You want to see a culture that actually slides into the immoral abyss that disintegrates? Read Romans chapter 1. It's there. Church, am I being mean by sharing what the Word of God says here? No. Would you rather me just sit down and just say, it's all okay? It's just do whatever you want to do? Or is this God's Word? Can I be worth my salt, as my granddad used to say, and not preach what's here? I looked up the original Greek word. That's what it says. But I know it's, it's 2019. And I, I mean, this, this wouldn't be a problem preaching this in 1950. But it's a problem today because people live together. There's homosexuality. There's, there's every, anything goes. Pedophilia is next. I want to close with this true story about this lady named Rosaria Butterfield. See Rosaria? She wrote a best-selling book called The Secrets of an Unlikely Convert. It's this lady and her story that illustrates, I believe, the four basics we've talked about today because I had to have an example. I said, Lord, give me an example of what we've talked about, these four basics. Rosaria was an English professor at Syracuse University, and she was living the gay lifestyle. She was very, very vocal. She would say even in her book, Hostile, as a gay activist. She, you know, had the gay pride marches. She organized them and so forth. She said that she was hostile to anyone who did not affirm her lifestyle and support her in it. She wrote an article in a newspaper describing this, and she was responded to by a local minister, and the minister wrote such a captivating letter, her words, that she said, quote, he spoke the truth of God's word and he wasn't even mean. Isn't that good? Because that's what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, 15. We're to give a reason for our hope. How? With gentleness and respect. And so the pastor, his name was Ken Smith, wrote this letter. And she said, I kept the letter. She said it was his kindness and that of his wife. Her name was Floy, is Floy, still living. Ken and Floy Smith, F-L-O-Y. She said it captured my heart. In an amazing turn of events, Ken and Floy invited Rosaria over to their home for dinner, and believe it or not, she accepted. You go, wow, that, that's amazing that Rosaria would do that. I get that. 
turn the tables. It's amazing that Ken and Floyd would invite her to their home. They lived on the edge of Syracuse University property and everybody, I mean everybody knew Rosaria. They knew that she was a lesbian and she was the end of the spear for that movement back in the early 90s at Syracuse. And so think about Ken and Floyd. All of a sudden, people see Rosaria Butterfield walking up their walk going into their home. You know those people. Oh, bless God. What are Ken and Floyd doing? Rosaria Butterfield. She's a lesbian. What are they doing? Having her come into their home. Are they getting soft on the Word of God? Are they... It takes courage to be a Christian. You listening? You listening? They were showing brotherly love and Christian hospitality to her. And she said, I was a prisoner. And they invited me in and showed me love. And that showed me sexual purity was how God wanted to bless my life. And there's joy in that. Do you see this? They showed love. They showed hospitality. They helped a person in need. And they lovingly showed her, Rosaria, you're not going to have joy in your life living that lifestyle. Now let me tell you what Rosaria wrote about in her book. Rosaria goes all around the country and she speaks about sexual purity. Are you listening? This is not just this homosexuality thing. The word pornea that she speaks of, and she goes, is to talk about this, and I'll say it to some of the men that are in this room. You're looking at pornography on your phone, and God is as disgusted with that as He is with homosexuality. Do you understand that, sir? And you can sit here and pound your foot and bless God when I say homosexuals are living in sin, and you're living in sin. It's wrong. Looking at someone who's not your wife or a young man who's a teenager, looking at that filth on your phone, that is pornea. And God is as disgusted with that as any sin. Preacher, I don't like what you're preaching now. I get it. And so we're we're like, it's the whole speck and plank in the eye. We want to go pointing out to the homosexual community, and we got this plank in our own eye, sir. And young people, come on. Come on, you're 16 years old, you got your license, and you're dating some 16-year-old, you're going to go to a movie. The movie starts at 7 o'clock. Her curfew's not till 11, sir, young man. And so you go to the movie, the movie's over at 8.35, and you leave two rivers down here. And you tell her you just want to go to the lake so you can see the moon setting on the lake. Yeah, right. You be frank, and I'll be earnest, and we'll get serious about this. I'm not saying it's everybody. I'm just saying I know what happens at the lake in the backseat of cars. Okay, I'm not trying to be crass here. And God calls that sexual immorality. And young lady, if he says he loves you, but he cannot keep his hands off of you, he doesn't really love you. He actually wants something from you. And when he takes that from you without, your, with, with, without any care about what that's going to do to you emotionally, he doesn't love you at all. You are an object to him. Please don't fall into that. Young man, be honorable. Hold marriage in high honor. And this includes before you get to the altar of marriage. Do you understand? 
Sexual purity is not a bad thing. Oh, it's such a drag, man, a crash thing. You gotta be sexually pure. It's the most loving thing that you can do. Because in the bonds of marriage, God designed marriage between a man and a woman. That is the most beautiful experience that you can know as a couple in that relationship. And so Satan is, we've bought the lie and we've been drinking the Kool-Aid of Satan that says, oh no, it's okay, it's all right. And you carry all that emotional bondage. And by the time young couples get to marriage, they've had eight, nine, 10, 11 relationships. And in the brain, with all of the pituitary gland releasing all these hormones and these constant breakup after breakup after breakup, just because you put one of these on doesn't mean you're gonna stay married. And for most people today, they don't even put a ring on. They just live together. And so I say this to you in love. Am I being mean here? I'm not trying to be mean at all. I'm saying this to you in love. I just want to protect you. And that's God's design. He wants to protect you. Rosaria Butterfield, she said that the only liberty that I realized that I was going to find in this life was in Christ. And she said that she finally acknowledged that her lesbianism had left her empty. That's her words. I want you to see um, a couple of paragraphs that she said, and we'll be done. She said this. This is in her book. Gay marriage, she was speaking of the Supreme Court decision back in 2015 legalizing homosexual marriage. She said, gay marriage did much more than change the definition of marriage. It changed the definition of personhood. She said, when we advocate for laws and policies that bless the relationships that God calls sin, we are acting as though we think ourselves more merciful than God. That's patting people on the head and say, yeah, go ahead and live that way. It's okay. It's, it's all right. You love each other. It's okay. It's all right. She said, that's not showing mercy. Basically, we're wimping out. Ken Smith did not wimp out. He lovingly wrote her, Rosari Butterfield, a letter, and he, he, he was kind to her, and they showed kindness to her. She was won by love, you see. She, she said this, when a culture embraces a category of personhood that rejects God as author of our person and purpose, we lose our grip on any truthful understanding of who we are. And we no longer then have access to categories like sin and grace, heaven and hell, repentance and faith, and forgiveness and restoration. She said, my problem was not that I identified as a lesbian. My problem was that I denied Christ. Looking through that prism, Rosaria said, one can plug in any number of other sins in the place of homosexuality and see that the message of Christ is the fact that it's only through Christ that we can overcome sin, any sin. Sir, your pornography. Young teenage couple, get your hands off of each other and protect yourself for marriage. She finished saying this, changing one's lifestyle will not bring salvation, but salvation through Christ will change our lives forever. You see it? It's not trying to take the homosexual community and turn all of the, the folks struggling with that lifestyle into heterosexuals. Sometimes the homosexual has to endure the fact that God has called them to a life of celibacy. And they might wrestle with those feelings and emotions all their lives. Just like a man who's a drunk, who's been delivered from it, will struggle all of his life with the fear that he might go back to alcohol. 
truly Rosaria's book is amazing. I recommend it to you. Again, the title of the book is The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And as I read that book, and it came back to my mind, that book's about, well, it's several years, several years old now, but um, I thought about Christianity 101. I was asking the Lord all week, Lord, give me an example of how I can put this into practice. And he gave me the example of Rosaria and Ken and Floyd Smith, the, the, the pastor and his wife. Because what did Ken and Floyd Smith do? Number one, they showed brotherly love to Rosaria. Number two, they, they exhibited hospitality, even at a great risk of people saying, look at what they're doing. Number three, they helped someone in need. And number four, it almost seems kind of out of place, but this is what the Holy Spirit inspired. We're to live in sexual purity. That is, these are Christian basics. So how are you? Are you living in brotherly love? Are you, are you showing hospitality? Are you helping those in need? Are you being sexually pure? And if you're doing those things, can I ask you this? Who's your rosaria? Who's your rosaria? Who is it the Lord might be bringing to your mind right now that needs you to show love, hospitality, help them in their need, and maybe even show them that purity is God's design that brings joy. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.